Hello everybody, it's so good to talk to you again. Uh, this is Ned, and this is Ineptus Astartes episode 17. I've got so much to talk to you about, I should have maybe just called this episode the announce episode, but uh, that's pretty terrible and lame, and I'm already kind of a cheesy person, so let's just move on to it. Like I said, lots of things to talk about, including, coming up in a little bit, the very first real official sponsor for the podcast. Uh, so... Let's begin. So the first thing is that I did, in fact, open up a Patreon. People who are subscribed on the YouTube channel might have seen the community note already. I posted a little while ago, but um, it's been up for a little bit, and I'm very grateful to the people who have already joined. Right now, we're just doing like two tiers, a $1 tier, which just for anyone who just wants to give a little tiny bit for the channel every month, and then a $5 tier. And the $5 tier is going to come with perks where I'm going to provide a free list and uh, lore tailoring and uh, discussion back and forth to help you design an army. And then also you'll be thanked at the end of every podcast episode. So that's going to be something coming up as well. The next announcement gets to something that I talked about and have been talking about for a little bit, and that is the Solar Auxilia project that I started. If you remember, I made a point a couple episodes ago to point out that I was never going to build Solar Auxilia because I was never going to cover them because I didn't want to cover them just to get obsessed with them and then want to get them all. Part of the problem there then ended up being the fact that several of my friends thought it'd be really funny to get me some of the models, and so I've got a hundred of them mostly painted Solar Auxilla Rifleman on my painting desk, uh, nearly complete. Now, because this ended up being mostly a project based around, you know, my silly friends that I hang out with at Adepticon, I decided to sort of make a bit of a tribute in the design of the project. And so the 347th Malortians were born. Now, if you're unfamiliar, Malort is a beverage, a delicious beverage, that is actually made in Chicago, right in the backyard of where Adepticon is. And it's a drink that's been around for quite a long while. It actually survived prohibition by being classified as, I think, an elixir, as medicine. So uh, it couldn't be targeted by prohibition, I guess. Anyway, it has a very unique bouquet, you could say. And some people have described it as drinking pencil shavings, others as gasoline and uh, castor oil. Um, it is something. It is something all in and of itself. But last year... Um, we had, uh, at Adepticon, we had people passing around bottles of this, and it was very exciting and very fun. People shouting Malort and having a great time. Well, decided to paint the army in the scheme of that, and if you'd like, you can follow me on AstartesThirtyk at Instagram, and uh, you can see some of my progress of the pictures. But I decided not to stop there, so I thought to myself, you know, I'm already kind of doing this thing. This is already kind of a funny little gag because we're, you know, designing an army after booze. And we're in Chicago, you know, for Adepticon. So why not go one step further? So I actually went ahead and reached out to uh, the manufacturers of Jepson's Malort. I went through their marketing department and talked to some people. And um, essentially, I told them what this was and what I was doing. And they have agreed to send us some free booze. Uh, for Adepticon, and this is, well, I don't know, I guess I can't say this exclusively, but this is the only uh, Horus Heresy project that I've ever heard of that has uh, more or less official sponsorship by a, a liquor company. So, here you go, the 347th Malortians sponsored, sort of, by Malort. How cool is that? 
Now, one of the things that was pretty fun about this was, you know, I put together a pitch and I explained, you know, like why would we'd like some free swag if that would be cool. They were obviously very confused as to what the heck I was talking about with models and whatever else. It was very fun. One of the things that I'd like to do is to show just how powerful the uh, Horus Heresy community is, just how uh, knit they are. So if you do find me on Instagram, you might see that I have um, posted a couple things and I've also started a couple of hashtags. So what I'd like you to do, if you are posting works in progress of what you're doing before Adepticon or just in general, um, I'd like you to consider using one of the two hashtags that I've put together here. So the first one is hashtag reinforcements malort. I thought that was kind of clever. Shout out to Doug from 2 Plus Tough for coming up to that one. And then also uh, Malort, my hobby. And if you put either of those there, I'll be looking for those. And I might repost some of those, um, feature some of them on the podcast as well. I'd just like to see what you're working on. And also, it'd be pretty funny to show a company like Malort that there is actually a reason to pay attention to a bunch of geeks in a hotel ballroom. Because, I mean, we do like to party. So anyway... That's some of my very exciting news, um, right before we get to maybe the biggest news of the episode. The next big thing, and this is really big for us, as I teased earlier, we are going to have our very first real sponsor in HobbyOrger.com. This is a pretty new site which sells paints and hobby supplies and just a wide variety of, of ranges, including Vallejo. I'm sorry, I think I hear... Oh my god! Is this thing on? Hello? What? Yes, yes, you're very afraid. I am Erebus, Dark Apostle of the Word Bears, etc., etc. What are you doing here? Well, the heresy is over now, and I've got a lot more time on my hands. Talking about going out on a high note, did you see what I... Oh, I, I have not, I've not yet finished End in the Death Volume 3. Oh my god. Did you come here to spoil the last book? Gods, that's brilliant. Hold on, I've got to write that down. More ideas. Share plot points. Ruin character death scenes. Remove bookmarks from physical copies. Uninstall Audible. Otherwise. No, you summoned me. You were talking about the hobby ogre. You're here to help me introduce a sponsor? Is that a problem? If I say yes, will you kill me? Hmm. I might no matter what. Uh. Okay, okay. okay. I was I was just saying, um. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, so Dave at Hobby Ogre uh, is building uh, a one-stop shop for you and your painting needs and your hobby needs. He's got over 600 projects from brands you love like Vallejo, um, Army Painter, AK, and more. And he's adding new items all the time. Already offers free shipping on orders over $100. But at checkout, you can take an additional 10% off your purchase by using the code Ineptus. If you're looking for a resupply or some new paints, please consider Hobby Ogre. (laughs) What are you? Oh, nothing. I'll tell you later. Uh, Anyway... Uh, help support Dave and help support our channel. Yes, you must support Dave so that he might realize his dreams at full potential. Why did you say it like that? Say what, sad meat thing? Uh, 
Should we do another take? Nobody talks like that. I talk like that all no, the time. Nobody says that. And just that, that just makes you think – that makes anyone think that something very bad will happen. Please consider a sacrifice to Hobby Ogre. Nothing bad will happen. Okay, you have got to see how that's worse. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, shop at hobbyogre.com. Things will probably be fine. I think you should go. It's fine. It's fine. Relax. It's no, no. I'm ser I'm serious. It's t I think you. I think you should leave. Oh, okay. No problem. Just remember, give this offering up to Dave. Oh, one last question. Do you think you haven't done skits like this in almost a year because you are feckless or because you are a coward? Please go twirl your mustache in hell. All right, fine, fine. I'll see you later. Do not ever come back to my house. Uh, well. Um. I hate to say this, but I... I agree with Erebus. Check out hobbyogre.com and use the code Ineptus for a 10% discount on your hobby needs. Well, um, hopefully we can all take a second and recover from that and then uh, uh, move on with the show. Next up, we've got a list request from John, a friend of the show, and he has a, a, a kind of a challenge, but an interesting idea. Honestly, it's a pretty simple idea, but just making it work is the thing that's weird. I've been wanting to do a Terminator-heavy Ultramarines list. I have 50-odd Cataphracti and 30-odd Tartarus. I'd theorized the list to use them in 1.0, but I could never finish it. I've had, I have uh, two Charybdis, uh, but they're kind of crap now, so I was hoping you could help. Weapons aren't an issue. Okay. The Charybdis are kind of crap. It's not even necessarily that the Charybdis are bad. They are complicated to use. The biggest thing with the Charybdis is the fact that they don't particularly function well in the game outside of one specific right of war. And what you're doing here is you're asking to use a whole bunch of Terminators, also a bunch of Charybdis, um, and those things don't necessarily mesh well together. So when we're talking about including the, that many Terminators, um, the first thing that immediately comes to my mind is the right of war Pride of the Legion. So if you're unfamiliar, Pride of the Legion is a right of war that allows... Legion veteran squads, Cataphracti Terminator squads, Tartaros Terminator squads to be selected as troops in a detachment using this right of war. Then, any Legion Cataphracti squads, Tartaros squads, veteran squads taken as compulsory troops gain the line subtype. Now, this is only the ones that are taken as compulsory, so you're only getting two line out of this. Then, any unit composed entirely of models with Cataphracti, Tartaros, or whatever armor plate that is normally selected as an elite may be included in the detachment using this right of war as a troop's choice. So this means that all of our Legion-specific Terminators that end up as elites can then also be taken as troops. So that's kind of an added bonus. This right of war, of course, has some pretty heavy restrictions. An army using this detachment as a primary detachment can't have an ally. An army using this right of war can only select a single heavy support choice and a single fast attack choice. An allied detachment can't use this, so it's primary detachment only. You can't have any fortifications, and you can't have more non-infantry units than you do infantry units. So right off the bat, one concern we're going to have about the initial part of this is um, thinking about the Charybdis. The Charybdis are a heavy support choice. Right away, we are limited to the fact that we can only use one of your two Charybdis, in this army, John. And then on top of that, there's the complication of how reserves work and how the Charybdis works in a right of war that isn't the drop pot assault. 
So we can include the Charybdis in this right of war. We can place it into reserve and have it deep strike rolling for it starting on turn two, potentially charging on turn three. The biggest concern with a list like yours and the rest of the considerations is the fact that you're going to have a lot of points tied up in that Charybdis. We're presuming um, the Charybdis itself is almost 250 points. Then you're going to fill it roughly with, I don't know, five to eight, nine Terminators, probably an HQ choice. You're probably looking at about a third of your army tied up in one thing that's going to deep strike hopefully on two and then maybe impact the board on three. Now, this isn't necessarily a problem. Lots of lists have rights of war and, uh, you know, do lots of deep striking later turns. And you can work around the fact that you're missing a lot of your points. The biggest thing is you're going to be really tight on bodies already to begin with because we're really trying to focus on Terminators all the way through. So we're going to tie up a lot of points in a very few amount of bodies, and that's going to create some complications for you. So for the first draft of this list, I am going to disregard the Charybdis and then focus on the Pride of the Legion and then just see where we can get to. My first draft, which comes out to exactly 3,000 points, and I had to do some odd point cutting um, to make this work, uh, is a Pride of the Legion, 3,000 points, Ultramarines. We are going to take a Cataphracti Praetor with the Aegis of Wisdom Warlord trait. They are going to have a Thunderhammer and a Magnet Combi weapon with a uh, Melta. And quite honestly, I did this just because of the specific Ultramarine Praetor. I like that model. So an easy way to cut 10 points here would be to get rid of the Combi Melta. But, you know, that's what I would choose. They're going to be accompanied by a Command Squad. And that Command Squad is going to have five models. It is going to have a... Uh, the standard bear is just going to have a power weapon. I like power swords just because they look nice. And the idea of a power gladius for somebody like this, for the standard bear, I just dig that. Then you're going to have two Cataphracti chosen with thunder hammers, two of them with power weapons, probably power axes. They are going to be riding in a standard Land Raider Praetor. This unit together, all told, Praetor um, and his buddies is going to be 605 points. Next up, you're going to get to the troops. So we are going to use our compulsory troop spots on two Cataphracti squads. We are going to stick with just five-man squads because, well, largely because um, I'm generally concerned about the Spartan, how many points it is, and how what a sink it is. But five-man squads can be transported in Proteus, and so that's what we're looking at here. The five-man squad, for this list, we're doing two of them, which are identical. Um, the sergeant is going to have a thunder hammer, and two of the other jobbers are also going to have thunder hammers. The others will have power axes again, just mounted in a regular Land Raider Proteus, uh, no bells and whistles. That is going to come out to 440 points. You're going to take two of those. Then, just because I like to include at least one Legion troop no matter where I go, and because the true Ultramarine player stands strong in the face of nerfs, you're going to take one Fulmentaris Terminator squad. Um, you're going to keep two of them with the uh, Petrarch Targeter, or the Paratarch Targeter, and uh, then you're going to have a bunch of power axes and a power fist on the Decurion. I honestly think that the amount of shots that these guys put out is not terrible for anti-infantry, and considering how easily you are going to be bogged down by chaff, considering how few models you have yourself, it wouldn't be bad to have just one unit that is just going to try to shoot at the big mobs of things. This squad then will be accompanied also by, uh, we've got a couple more troops. We're going to have two inducti squads. 
Now, I chose inductive squads. You can take these, of course, because they are not our primary. They're not our con uh, compulsory troop choices. So we get around the fact that they've got the support rule. Uh, we need them for a couple of reasons. One, this list is otherwise pretty light on scoring because you can only have your two cataphracti squads be scoring. Uh, two is that you want to have more stuff to help set off your legion trait, and these squads are going to be generally good for that. They're going to be mounted in rhinos, so one of these squads, I imagine, uh, one of the rhinos is going to follow roughly each of the different land raiders, and, you know, when you turn around, when you get out, when you do your charging and whatever else, these guys can be the thing that initiate that plus one to ballistic skill. Or honestly, the uh, Terminators can be because we have given two Meltas to each of these Inducti squads just for a little bit of extra punch. The Rhinos, one of them has a multi-Melta because we kind of awkwardly ran out of points. So the Fulminteris are about 300 points, 200-ish for each of the Inducti squads. Cataphracti squads coming in at 440, and your Praetor and his buddies at 605. That leaves you a little bit more than 800 points to go with. So um, I'm adding a little bit more of the standard what you would expect thickness. So you are going to get two Contemptors in here, and I've included these two Contemptors because, quite honestly, you're going to need something to stand up against, honestly, other Contemptors, something that can hold the line, you can throw in to hold off something that's potentially going to overwhelm a flank or whatever. Contemptors can be good for that. We're giving them both um, the Gravis Melta Cannons because a little bit of extra anti-tank. And also, um, it will help you thin the herd on some Death Stars a little bit as you're charging in to kill if that is what you're after. You can also save a couple of points by just going with two close combat weapons if that's what you wish. But honestly, for only five points more, um, the Gravis Melta shots are pretty nice. Now, the next choice that I have is a little strange, maybe, but I do really like the uh, Derrideos, and so I've given you a single Dreadnought Talent of two of those for your one heavy support choice, and you can kind of mix and match what you want to bring for the weapons. So I do like the heavy last cannon battery. Um, at 20 points, it's not terrible. It's a, it's a pretty strong weapon, strength 10, two shots, Sunder, Exoshock 5+. plus. So it'll be very useful for targeting and maybe focusing down like big vehicles, um, putting some hurt on super heavies and whatever else. Also, you've got the helical targeting array here. So that is going to help you with reactions, give you the ability to shoot at incoming flyers. Um, because like, you know, there are a lot of things because this list is so limited in its size. There's a lot of different ways that a person can shenanigan you as far as uh, dumping reserves on you, deep strike assaults. And this can help you target some of those things a little bit better, have a little bit more um, uh, response in that regard. You can also switch, um, drop the one of the heavy last cannons for like a Hellfire Plasma Cannonade, especially if you're probably going to want a little bit more anti-infantry in here, and also just for the variety. I think the Hellfire Plasma Cannonade is actually pretty cool. Um, it is a large blast, a rending 4 plus strength 8, so it's going to instant kill other marines uh, one shot. And then if you're just trying to pick off little guys, a heavy 6 with breaching 4 up is pretty good. It's pretty good. And it's actually 5 points cheaper than the last cannon. So definitely something to consider if you were looking in that direction as well. So all told, this gives you 3 land raiders, 2 rhinos, and about 20 Terminators on the board. So that's pretty good. 
You're also going to have four Dreadnoughts, which is a little bit more than you would typically want to see in a 3,000-point list, although two of those are Derradeos. So it's not nearly as uh, oppressive as like spamming full Contemptors. The list definitely has some shortcomings in the fact that it can get mobbed pretty easily and will have a difficult time dealing with just masses of infantry and just when you throw buckets of dice at it. But it's definitely fun and includes, you know, a lot of what it was that you wanted. But that's not what you really wanted, was it, John? Your email asked me to come up with a list for 50 Cataphracti and 30 Tartaros Terminators. So here we go for real this time. First of all, maybe this is a good point to offer a disclaimer. There is probably a reason why the developers choose 3,000 points roughly as the best point value for games. If you can push a game up to 4,000 points, which I, I've got friends that are doing that a lot, and I'm playing 4K games pretty frequently, um, it oftentimes works, but you immediately start rubbing up against the fringes or the uh, limitations of the One Force organization chart. To go where we did is uh, definitely a step in the other direction from what is intended. So without further ado, here's 7,200 points of Terminators for John. Okay. So, still Pride of the Legion, still Ultramarines, we still have the same Praetor as a Warlord. He still has everything that he did before with his Cataphracta Command Squad and the Riding in the Land Raider. We are also going to bring a Librarian in Tartaros with a Psychic Hood and a Force Axe. We're going to bring a Cataphracti Centurion. And they're going to take a Power Axe as well. I know there's a temptation to do Thunderhammer here. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. We're going to go with the standard Crozius. We are going to continue to keep all of the Dreadnoughts that we had in the list before. But despite the fact that we're going to 7,000, we're not going to add any more to the list. Because we've got standards, you understand? So the troops. We have now a 10-man Fulmentaris squad. And it is just more of the same with more power axes. You can switch around and add some power fists if you want. Because eventually these guys at a game point... Well, you're never going to play a game point like this. But if you do, they're going to end up in combat at some point, so you're probably going to want some more weapons there. The biggest change that we've made here is that we've just bulked out most of our squads. We now have two squads of 10 Cataphracti Terminators. Um, we are going to put four uh, Thunderhammers in each squad, Power Axes on four, and then Thunderhammer on the Sergeant. Then we are going to be, like I said, in Spartans. Two of the squads identical there. We're going to have an additional squad, which is more or less the same. Another 10-man squad, but they are not going to be in a Spartan because they've got another special ride coming up in a little bit. In the elite spot to fill out the rest of our choices, we are going to take three more Terminator squads. These are all going to be Tartaros, and half of them are going to be equipped with dual lightning claws. Four of them will have a power axe, and then you can flavor your sergeant per taste i probably suggest Thunderhammer just because they're so good. And, of course, everybody's in a Spartan, right? So that puts us at 50 Terminators in Spartans in this list, John. Are you, hope, are you having fun yet? I hope you're having fun. So next up, though, we go back to the troop spot because we're not done with the Cataphracti. We are going to include two more five-man squads, and they are going to be deployed in Dreadclaw Drop Pods because they are going to be accompanying in that Deep Strike Assault the 10-man Cataphracti squad before because they're going to ride in a Storm Eagle gunship. we got to do something with the one fast attack choice we have, 
And why not let them all come down in style in the same drop pot of salt? Yeah, it's going to get there at two, turn two at the earliest, and I mean, who knows when it's actually going to salt. But dang, isn't that cool? Dropping out of a storm eagle with uh, two drop pods coming with you? That's pretty sweet. Now, you got a choice here, John. You are still limited to only one heavy support choice. I'm sticking with the Derrideo. If, if we're trying to pretend like this list has any chance of being, I don't know, like effective, um, you still might want the ability to react or shoot something uh, with some efficiency. Admittedly, you've got an absolute insane amount of LAS cannons mounted on armored vehicles at this point, so you've got a lot of guns, but still, you know, you probably want something. You could drop the Derrideos and add one of your Charybdis and bunk, bulk up even more and throw another squad into there so then you're having even more deep striking fun. Or if you have any chums who are friends and get how this is just all stupid to begin with, maybe they just let you ignore the heavy support limit here and just throw as many dreadnoughts as possible and uh, you know bulk up both of these squads. So what does this 7,000 point monstrosity end up looking like? It ends up looking like 30 Tartaros, 40 regular Cataphracti, 10 Fulmentaris, which are also technically in Cataphracti, a command squad of 5, 3 HQ choices. Sidebar, I think I accidentally included too many Terminators in this list. John, you're going to have to buy some more Terminators. They are mounted in one Land Raider, one Storm Eagle, two Dreadclaw Drop Pods, and five Spartans. There's also four Dreadnoughts, because why the heck not? So this is obviously a a, a total meme, but I mean, there remains a question. Can this work? Well, the answer I think is uh, kinda. I definitely think there's something to be said for the concept of taking some of these Terminator units more practically in the first 3K list and then thinking about designating them together in like small strike groups, right? So in the first list, if you've got a couple of Land Raiders, you also can have them backed up by the Inducti. Keep one of the Contemptors near each other, each of these strike groups as the game progresses so that they can help screen for some of these uh, bigger threats that you're not going to want to uh, allow your other units to get bogged down by. Ultramarines are actually pretty well situated to do this, um, especially depending on what it is that you're shooting at, what you're trying to accomplish. You know, you can use some of that synergy, uh, supposing that these units are going to stay relatively close to each other. I mean, it's definitely possible. I'd say that that synergy, that concept, allows small elite units um, like the Ultramarines to actually have a little bit of tactical flexibility. So, I don't know. John, try it out. It might actually work. It might actually be a pretty good time. Regardless, thanks a lot for the question because it's a good one to consider and it's a fun exercise for us. So, John's list, which was a fun exercise all and of itself, actually lent um, and, and sort of became uh, an interesting way for me to segue into something that I've actually been thinking about um, for a while, something that I've been trying to find a way to talk about. Um, so the name of this episode, which is not the announce episode, it is uh, The Three Hobby Problem, and it actually comes from, well, it comes from a couple different things. So the obvious pun and joke, especially if you or a sci-fi fan, or if you've been seeing ads on Netflix, is that there is a new show coming out called The Three-Body Problem, this later this year. It is based off of a famous um, sci-fi book series, but it's also based on a mathematical principle and a physics problem, so to speak, which is called The Three-Body Problem. The essentials of this, the math side of it, which 
uh, I don't know, I think is pretty cool, is it originates, I guess, from the concept of the complexities when you're factoring in, you know, uh, like Newton's laws of force, uh, velocity, gravity, and the way all these really complicated systems work together when trying to calculate and uh, model um, the, the way that bodies move in space, so the three bodies. The classic example is, I believe, if I'm correct, kind of about the way that the sun, the earth, and the moon, for example, with the way their orbits might interact with each other. And the basic gist of it is that over enough time, um, basically, like, the forces are just too complex to map entirely. Now, in the book, and I'm presuming the show, the three-body problem is, you know, it's a famous mathematical equation, but it also gets to, uh, it's essentially a metaphor of, like, the complexity of choice, and, you know, you can't necessarily determine all things, you know, you can't even necessarily know all things, and that's where I took the name of this episode from. So, the three-hobby problem, for me, gets to some of the basic questions, honestly, which I have to ask myself sometimes when I am writing uh, these podcast episodes or when I'm deciding what it is that I'm going to cover, when I'm talking to my friends or other people in the larger community about what I see as um, the direction that the community wants to go into, but also like uh, trying to interpret what it is that people want from me uh, in this podcast and in other walks of this hobby. So let's talk about John's example first. So John had a specific set of parameters. He had these models that he wanted to use, and he had, of course, uh, a sort of a lore intention to an extent. And all of those things were entirely valid, okay? I've got the information. I know what it is that exists here. And now the question is, how do I make a list about it? Well, um, it would be very easy just to slap all of these models into a list somehow and create an army list, but it wouldn't operate the way that I believe any way that he wants to. This gets into those, some of the complexity of what I'm talking about. Well, what is it that John or any person, uh, any, any of you listeners or anybody really wants from an army list? So the three hobby problem for me is the fact that when we talk about the end product of like creating a list or something like that, it's much more complicated than simply um, mathematically determining which units are good and then deciding how those things go together. So let's talk about Warhammer, specifically with Horus Heresy, I guess. And let's talk about the fact that, in my opinion, there are multiple hobbies that exist underneath the subheading of being a heresy wargamer. And those things have a balance of sorts, and that's the thing that creates, like, what it is that we do here. So we have some people who really, really primarily love being a modeler, a painter, um, and a hobbyist, okay? You like the art of it. There are people, okay, who just like to buy models and paint models. And that is really the extent of their interest with this hobby. There is nothing wrong with this if you are a person who does just this, right? Um, you didn't need my permission to say that, but let's just put it all out there. Some people simply enjoy the artistic expression of taking one thing and then moving it along so that it comes to its something closer to a perfect uh, appreciation of its form, all right? Now, Games Workshop, when it started out, it was just a models company. Just They sold models, right? It wasn't until later on where they thought about you know codifying a set of rules and the true game of anything was born. So it's very valid just to think of wargaming as an extension of simply this. 
The next up, though, is the lore and the story. Eventually, there becomes lore and story and a concept of how loosely a narrative can form. What I find absolutely fascinating is when I look into some of the history of how the Horus Heresy started, the very simple and humble beginnings, the super, like, super loose, like, essentially, like, bar napkin scrawlings that were the original foundation for this story, and just... Now we are finally finishing the last book of a fifty-something um, novel saga, hundreds of short stories about the Horus Heresy. Um, it's been such an important cultural impact on uh, the the hobby, on Warhammer itself. I mean, selling thousands and thousands of copies. I'm not even going to talk about the debacle that was the uh, limited edition sale of the End of the Death Part Three, because if you were there, you know how much it stank. People really love and are passionate about this. Now, I have friends, and there are people that I have met, for example, through this podcast, but also primarily through secondary places, or at least secondary to me, people that I've met through TikTok, uh, people that I've met on YouTube or through YouTube or Discord who are primarily just lore nerds. They just love the stories. They read the novels. They read the Horus Heresy novels, the 40K novels. They just love the connection of the story and the intricacy of the plot. And how, you know, how it all fits together. Now, what's interesting to me about these people is the fact that, well, there's the question, are they wargamers? Under the strictest sense of the term, you're not going to call someone who only engages with the the lore a wargamer. And, and, that, and that does make sense. But what about a person who buys the models and paints the models and then, uh, you know, uh, engages with the lore? That's a wargamer for sure. Now, what about a person, conversely, who enjoys the game, uh, buys the models, but doesn't necessarily engage with the lore, understand how it connects, and simply uses the models in their most optimum way to build an army? Like, this is the sort of thing that I'm talking about. For many of us, we spend way more time talking about and thinking about Warhammer than we actually do playing it because of our jobs, our lives, our opportunities. Just as an anecdote, without any real data to back it up, I feel like I see a lot more of the younger Wargamers gravitating towards Age of Sigmar or um, Warhammer 40k than the older crowd, oftentimes, that I associate with Horus Heresy. Absolutely love when I see a younger person playing Horus Heresy, but honestly, man, a lot of times when I see people, kids, you know, teenagers playing Horus Heresy, it's because they're somebody's son or daughter, you know? And so it's more of a generational thing than it is um, someone of that specific, you know, uh, Gen Z group that is choosing to just jump into our specific hobby. So if the barrier between being a wargamer um, is, you know, on the official level, to play either one game every three months or none, right? Like, what is the what is the real difference? There's sort of an ethereal nature to that barrier or that connection. And if this is the barrier, and if this is the time and the place that that barrier is established, I know I'm putting a lot of importance into a podcast. Like, this episode, like, maybe 400 people will hear it. So, so like, but if this is the moment, if this is the moment where that is decided and we establish the real rule of what's going on, well... This is a rule that is generated by the community, established by people who are self-elected to do so, right, just because we spend time thinking about it. And there's all sorts of people out there who may want to be part of this hobby, who already are part of this hobby, who have never heard of this podcast, who have never heard of me, who have never engaged in any 
of the on-like criteria or whatever else. And there is nothing to prevent them from thinking of themselves as a war gamer. And so, like, uh, the idea of making that classification is just silly. I'm, we are shouting into the void about what it really means to be something that can exist and does exist wargaming freely without any of our intervention. Garage hammer, beer and pretzel hammer, competitive play. It is all equal as far as its validity just because it's the people in the moment at that point that choose to make it so. So what am I talking about? Well, John, if you decide to build this list and you get your pants beat uh, like 300 times with it, then... Well, you will be victorious if you enjoy the fact that you took up the challenge of doing something which doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, although if it works, I want all the credit. Well, that is about going to wrap it up for us today. Um, thank you so much for listening this far. Nice and short one this time. Before we end today, though, we do have to thank our new top supporters. Thanks so much to Zach Mortensen. Thank you so much to uh, Dark Apostle Ben, and also thank you to the Uptown Garage Brewing Company in Ankeny, Iowa. We really appreciate your support. It helps make this happen month to month. If you enjoyed the video, please consider liking and subscribing. Um, subscribe to the podcast if you are listening to it where podcasts are found. And yeah, check us out on socials, Instagram and TikTok. Okay, that's all for now. Um, I'd like to apologize for Erebus's behavior. But there's no apologizing for a weasel like him. Hopefully we've seen the last of him. Anyway, take care of yourselves and uh, talk to you soon. <laughs>